Shannon Waller here, and welcome to this episode of the Team Success Podcast. And I am particularly excited, I know I always am, because I have on the line with me a very dear friend and client named Kent Pilcher. And Kent is president of Estes Construction. And one of the things I appreciate most about Kent is the conversations we've had about leadership, about leadership development, about how he has developed his own team. So I am particularly jazzed today to share his insight and wisdom with you. And on that note, welcome, Kent. Welcome to the Team Success Podcast. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here and to work together to tell a little bit of my leadership story and hopefully help others with the journey that I've had. And we do have a lot of fun working together. We've cooked up a lot of great ideas that we've put in place, and it's been a joy to work with you and our team. And a little background on our companies, Estes Construction, we're a commercial and industrial construction company located in eastern Iowa. We work in Iowa and northern Illinois. And we have two other related entities, one called Point Builders and one called City Construction. And all in all, if you look at the size of all three companies, we'll hover around a couple hundred million dollars in uh, sales this year. I love that because I sometimes think that leadership for some people is sort of one of those nice things. And you've just proven how incredibly practical it is for a very real practical business with a lot of zeros after that, (laughs) before the decimal point. So I love that. Well, we started, I started this journey before we had as many zeros, so we had quite a bit fewer commas to use a Dan Sullivan line and zeros when we started this. But certainly leadership development both in our company and with my own style has significantly helped our companies grow successfully. Awesome. So that's really what I want to talk about, and one of the reasons why I want everyone to hear you is that you have integrated so many different ways of thinking and approaches and how you've learned about yourself and how your team has learned about themselves. So for me today, this conversation is really a chance to see how everything gets pulled together. It's very easy to get excited about one idea concept, one profile, one tool, but you've really integrated them all together. And you're very conscious about the growth and you're very conscious about your system of creating it. And that's really what I want people to get a true sense of not only how you do it, but how they can do that for themselves. Because it's not too often we get to pull back the curtain of a really successful company and see how that happened. So thank you for sharing today with us. I'm excited. Well, thanks for your comments. You know, my journey really, I think with leadership, it has to start with yourself. And you and I have now helped develop our system where we call the first step and it is to know thyself. And I think to use your words, people only trust someone to the extent they know themselves. Mm -hmm. And mine really started really learning a lot more about myself a number of years ago. And I was, if you use a DISC profile, I was a very high D. And if you used a Myers-Briggs, I was a what's called a field marshal, an ENTJ in the four-quadrant personality profiles. And, and what that basically is is someone who's very authoritarian, very directive, very controlling. And then I had a revelation from someone that was an early coach. She said that style of leadership is called field marshal which I learned to fit me very well at that time. And so what she explained was, you can probably get anything done, right? Yes, yes, yes. You can probably take that hill over there. Yes, yes, yes. And you'd probably walk right over the top of anybody to get it done. Yes, yes, yes. So what about the next hill? And that was kind of a defining moment. It really hit me between the eyes that all at once, that maybe part of my challenge was that field marshal style wasn't working for me and that I had to start to work on that. So that began my journey and began to really look at how I knew more about myself and what I had to do to become a successful leader. 
Now, was that an easy process of introspection, or was that challenging? Was that hard? Oh, it's never easy to confront yourself in the mirror. (laughs) It was challenging, but I've always been a person who believes in a little improvement every day. I mean, I came up and played athletics through college, and so a lot of my life through those eyes were about practice, and practice in athletics is getting a little bit better every day, and you want to constantly improve and learn. And so that was really my mindset, and I thought, well, I don't want to be this way the rest of my life. I want to be more effective. I want to be more successful, and I want to learn and improve. And so you start to work on those things, and you start to work on the things in ways that are awkward and uncomfortable for you, but you make a commitment to continue to grow and experiment and try things. So contrasting where you were then, how would you describe your your style, if you want to call it that now, or your mindset? Well, There are people in our company that knew me 15 years ago and know that's the truth, and there are new people in our company that would never believe that was me. So That's awesome. It's 180 degrees. We have a very collaborative company, highly engaged with a lot of diverse leadership. We measure our engagement just much like Strategic Coach does with the engagement multiplier. Great. And we have a lot of highly engaged people. So. Today, it's a very different style. It's a very collaborative style. It's a very Socratic style. And part of what my biggest job is to develop leaders within our company. So as I began to learn a lot about myself and what worked for me and what I learned along the way, we've put that to use systematically in our company through things we've started, through things we've collaborated with you and others on to really have a very strong leadership development philosophy and program because I know how rewarding it's been for me to learn about myself and become successful. There's nothing more rewarding now than to watch others blossom and become successful as well. What's the payoff been for you and maybe for the company of switching, of changing styles, of going to this much more collaborative way of doing things rather than sort of top-down hierarchical? Well, for me, I think it's been a couple of things. One has been a journey through coach to determine my unique abilities. And for those that don't know, that's a process where you really look at yourself and you learn a lot more about yourself. It fits in the know thyself piece. And what that's allowed me to do along with my leadership evolution is really work on the things I'm passionate about and I'm very good at. So what that and this collaboration has done, being collaborative allows me to hand off many of the things I'm not very good at or I don't want to do. And so it eliminates a lot of frustration, a lot of burnout, a lot of drag, so to speak, that you're often faced with as you try to grow or advance a company. And so by getting other people involved who have other strengths than I do and can actually do things better than I can do them, and being able to collaborate has helped our company grow much faster. First of all, I love what you just said because it takes a huge amount of awareness and being willing to put your ego to the side to say what you just said, which is really powerful. But also the fact that this more collaborative, multi-strength approach has actually resulted in much faster growth in terms of both revenue and profit, if I understand correctly. That's correct. You know, you've worked with us and our leadership teams on high-performance teams, and we've really now taken some of the things we did with those exercises with StrengthsFinder and finding out what our strengths are as well as our Colby tests and DISC, and we now use all of that throughout the company so people understand better. And I think it's freeing for them because we talk a lot about the fact that we want you to know your strengths, we want you to know when your strengths serve you, and those times your strengths may even betray you. 
And on top of that, we want you to know your weaknesses, not because you're going to work on them and get better. No one wants to work on their weaknesses, for goodness sake. <laughs> but because you need to find and match up with someone when you're in an area, you need to have enough self-awareness to know you're in an area where you're not very strong and look for someone else. And so that kind of awareness first and then team building second has really helped our company grow. Well, actually, I think that's a brilliant point, that awareness has to come first before team building. I don't think I've ever put it quite so succinctly as you just did. Because without that awareness, you're kind of operating off of probably some false assumptions about what people are good at, what people are not good at. They are, and and it's fun to work with people. I work with in development, about half my time is spent in the area of talent development, and it, it doesn't mean that I develop the talent, but I make sure the systems are and others are developing it. But there's certain high-level talent I like to develop. It's our We have about 10 people that are in a training program out of college, and then I also like to work hands-on with the group right below our officers. I have four direct officers who report to me, and there's six below them managers who are in line for succession. And so our CFO, Michelle, and I meet with 16 different people quarterly, not to review them, but to really learn how they're learning, learning about their strengths, what they're learning about themselves. And it's really fun to see them begin to know themselves well enough to have some real success and leverage those strengths and be able to partner up with others when they get in a sticky area. There's a couple places I want to go with what you just said. The One of the things I think of first is that By developing people this way and having people really be anchored in their strengths and not focusing on their weaknesses, you're also training people, as you said, in terms of succession so that they actually develop their teams that way too. So this is very much a part of your culture, is it not? It is. We have now, as you know, you and I have worked together with a process we call three levels of leadership. The first level is to know thyself, as we mentioned, and learn all about yourself and your strengths and and what we've talked about. The second level is a skill set of then, once you know yourself, how do you build strong teams? So the third level then is engage others to lead and really get leverage from that. We use that concept. We've got a graphic developed around it to help people grasp the concept. And it's really exciting to see people that will put together teams have some success and then, in fact, get other people to say, hey, I want to lead. I want to step up and do things. I want to run an initiative. And so that thinking, that kind of thinking, has really helped change our organization. Wow. You must be one of the places that people just really want to work for. We have had great engagement scores. As you know, just like Coach, we're in the high 80s. We just got our latest, and we were 86 or 87. Congratulations. Thanks. It's a great score. And while one of the things we're seeing is we want our environment and our company to be a real attractor and retainer of talent because we know there's a coming war on talent, according to Jim Clifton, the chairman of Gallup. Mm -hmm. And I deeply believe that the places that are great places to work will attract the kind of talent and retain it. And more importantly, as you know, Gallup's done a lot of a lot of research on highly engaged companies, and highly engaged companies outperform others three to one. And we've seen that. We'll just finish our tenth consecutive year, what's called best in class performance, which is top quartile, which is a real high level of performance uh, in terms of financial results. And that's our testimony to engagement, and the engagement's led to great success and growth. Mm, that's fantastic. Now, I always find both sides of the picture so interesting. I'm sure that some of the people, especially that have been in your company for a while like you have and may have had the same mindset that you did, it's not always an easy transition from the kind of 
I'm in charge, you're not way of thinking about things into this much more collaborative, strengths-based approach. Has that always been an easy transition for other people? No, as a matter of fact, we have someone that you know very well that's in one of your programs that's just made a huge breakthrough in the last year, year and a half. And he had a real challenge for seven or eight years with making that kind of transition, and yet he was committed to working hard on it and becoming more self-aware, and he really struggled with it. Yet he really knew he had to change, and he knew that it was holding him back. And now in the last year, he's just had huge breakthroughs. He's really being recognized by a lot of people within the company and having a lot of fun and success. And so it took him five or six years of really hard work and some fits and starts, but now it seems like he's on a really great track. And I totally appreciate Paul. He's an awesome guy. And I also love how you guys stuck with each other through the process. Yeah, it's challenging some days, but he was committed to continue working on it, and he has a lot of other good attributes on behalf of the company, so it's not always easy to keep that perspective, but the good news is that through some hard work, we've ended up at a very good place. Mm-hmm. So does that occasionally take some, well, Susan Scott's term is fierce conversations. Is that sometimes what it takes to get to that point? Yes. <laughs> that's, just, that's the quick answer. Yes, we had several fierce conversations. And on top of that, what I started to do about two years ago was really get some of his peers to work on him as well. So it isn't just my effort. It was a lot of collaborative effort by all of us because they saw the strengths he had mm-hmm. as being great strengths for the company, but yet this sort of, in some areas of his leadership, just toxic thing that would happen from time to time where he'd get angry at people and it was just toxic for leadership. He's managed his way through that. It's like the line, it takes a village. Well, it took a number of us to kind of help him work and get through that. And he has. And I just really appreciate when someone goes through that level of personal growth, I happen to think that professional growth and personal growth are inextricably combined. You can't really do one without the other. That it takes an enormous commitment and that takes also enormous courage to talk about our four C's process. So they develop the capabilities and then the new level of confidence. That's not an easy track to run on. And it takes a big person, I think, to do that. No, I think the four C's process is a great concept of what it takes. First, you have to really have the sort of self-awareness or decision. And then it takes real courage to say, I'm going to leave this behind and I'm going to try and I'm going to fail. Probably fail a little bit along the way, but I'm going to learn from those failures and keep working on it. My commitment is to being different And then from that, I think we get more confidence from our failures and our successes, quite frankly, if we're willing to stick to it. Mm -hmm. And so all of that goes into how we make big leaps and big learning, both professionally and personally. So let's talk about failure for a moment, because I think that's, I never personally enjoy the experience of failure. It's like, (laughs) really? Couldn't I figure that out better? However, as you said, it's an incredible educator, and we learn a ton from it. But talk about that, because I think one of the challenges with leadership, and I know it's true for me, is letting other people fail or not do it the way that you would do it. Or sometimes you can see the train wreck coming, and you're like, well, should I stop it or not? So what is your take on that? Well, it's an evolving picture. And so what do I mean by that? When I really started working on leadership development, one of the ways my approach was to try to work with people and basically make them what I call mini-me. Well, you should do it this way. You should do it that way. And if you only did it the way I do it, you'll be really good. And that was failure. That was a disaster because (laughs) they aren't me and they are themselves. And so one of the things we've really learned is people have to learn things themselves, if they're really going to develop, 
the person working with them has to let them develop and get their own grasp and picture of it. And that doesn't involve telling them what to do. It involves letting them try to conceptualize and experiment and have their own successes and failures. Now, what we've done recently, put in a little new safety net that we're using called Three Levels of Complexity. And so this is designed for some of our newly emerging leaders, and the three levels work like this. The first level is when you're trying to make someone who's your superior aware. In other words, you go in and you have a conversation with them or an email, and you say, here's a situation I want to make you aware of. I'm confident. I've got it. I just want you to have the courtesy of awareness. That's the first level. So now you know when you're developing them, they've got it, they're confident. The second level is it's something they have limited confidence on or they've had limited experience. The idea is to say, okay, I'm not quite sure about this, but I have this idea or that idea about how to approach this. Is there anything else I should be considering? Am I looking at it the right way? So it's a coaching environment, but they are expected to have begun to thought it through because they have limited, first recognize they have limited experience, but yet second, still try to come up with their own approach. And so as you engage with them or one engages with them, the idea is more of a coach to make sure they're developing their ideas and help them sharpen that or be clear on it. And then the third level is when they're faced with the most complexity and they don't even know how to approach something. And so, again, the idea isn't to tell them how to approach it. The idea is to say, well, this might be a resource for you to go consider. That might be a resource for you to go consider. And we often help people discover how do you best face complexity, like Michelle, our CFO, She faces complexity when she's really quandary. She has to sit down and write things out. That's her way of getting her mind around it. Me, when I face it, I want to talk it out. I want to talk to five or six people and talk it out. So what we try to do is help them understand how do they best work through complexity, where the best resources might be, who they might talk to, or what they might seek. Those are ways now we've really helped, I think, accelerate people's own learning and experiences and try to set them up more for success than just let them walk off the deep end and see if they can swim. <laughs> well, I think you've also created awareness about where they're at. Pretty sure they can handle it, courtesy of awareness, which is a great term, or not 100% sure or ah, brand new to the yep. situation. But you've helped people discover their own learning style and their own problem-solving style. That's profound. Now, how tempting is it sometimes to want to go, oh, just do this? Because I would, oh, I would going to have to bite my tongue to not say that sometimes. Well, it is very tempting, especially if you're under pressure or they're in a hurry and you really have to kind of mentally slow down. But, you know, once you get used to it, it's easier. And it's easier to get in more of a Socratic mode where you question, ask more questions, and you give answers. And so it takes some practice, but it's also more rewarding. It's more fun not to give somebody the answer than than to watch them find it their own way. Now what we're finding is I'm watching people come up with solutions that are better than the ones I might have come up with because I'll come up with one in my head and then we'll sit and ask them questions and all of a sudden they've got a different path. And what we're seeing as outcomes is things that are even better in the end than I might have done or others might have conceived. And so that's when it's really fun to say, wow, you know, they got there on their own and it was a better outcome Mm -hmm. than I might have done. I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there an example you can think of? And what I love about your business, I mean, this is construction we're talking about. I mean, I think of hard hats and swearing and things of that. So it impresses me to a huge degree that this is the culture of your organization in a fairly 
physical environment in a lot of cases, not that you don't think about things a lot. So what's an example of where someone just came up with an idea that was a different approach that really worked, that was different than what you or one of the team leaders would have thought of? Well, we have someone in our next level below our officers who runs a department, and you know him, Blake. And Blake, three or four different times we've sat down with ideas about his department. He's wanted to bounce ideas around, and I've asked him questions. And he's taken those, and for example, one recent outcome, he was struggling with an issue of productivity. He wanted to add some people in his department, and we started brainstorming about what there may be ways to not have to do that, and we looked at some of the data on the production, and all of a sudden he realized some things about where maybe there were some time savings. And basically he's come up with a way to produce 25% more work with no more people. And he's gotten his department to buy into it, and he's gotten them to buy into it in ways that I wouldn't have thought of. So there's a real quick example of one that he just came to me yesterday and said, wow, this is really working. That will be his goal for this coming year is now to implement this and actually realize it. And he's very confident. It was a place where he started. He didn't have much courage, and he got some courage, and now he's completely confident about it because he's gotten his department to buy into it, and I'm sure their results are going to – it's starting to show up already because we're about 20% ahead of this year, and I know next year it will be at least 25, and he feels he could even do better than that. Well, that's an incredible breakthrough. I love that. Yeah, (laughs) it is. You know, and I like to remind people here in a smiling sort of way, let's not lose sight of the fact we are not in the construction business. We're in the leadership development business. Yes. And if we do the leadership development business correctly, the construction business will be fine. So construction projects are, while they're technically complex, they're more importantly huge areas where people have to work together day in and day out in very demanding situations, both Mm -hmm. physical work and environment, you know, hot, cold, wet, dry. So the need to be collaborative and to be teamwork and build engaged teams is really ever-present. And even more in demand now on projects with technology and with short schedules than it has ever been. And so this idea, while we're in a real hard hat and boots kind of profession, it's still all about motivating people and getting them to buy in and be great teammates and contribute. I love that you are, in fact, in the people business. Yes. <laughs> even, even in the construction business, you're in the people business. And I think that's a brilliant point that the stakes are really high with what you do. I mean, people's physical safety is sometimes at risk, so yep. they have to look after each other. They're solving problems. You're making something literally from nothing. So there's the opportunity for things to go wrong and the need for precision and measurement and accuracy and communication is higher even than a lot of other situations I can think of. So you've just given me a whole new slant on just how essential it is. And I can just imagine the efficiencies of your team compared to some of your perhaps competitors because people are looking at things differently. They are. And what we're seeing is this sort of collaborative environment internally has turned into our culture clearly. And what it's become now, because we have to work with design firms that are outside of ours and we have to work with owners, And the ability to collaborate internally now in our culture has carried out to be a way we do business, and that way we're doing business has become a true differentiator. In fact, we've copyrighted it. We call it client-centered collaboration. But more importantly, we're having owners and designers recommend or ask for us, and actually, in some cases, we're paid a pretty significant premium because we bring that to the table on very demanding projects. So that internal culture of collaboration and teamwork and team building has really been a differentiator for us in a highly competitive marketplace. 
You know, my heart is just cheering right now. <laughs> You're saying everything I love to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me saying it, which is even better. I love it. And I appreciate that. And again, the reminder of the fact that a really engaged organization outperforms a disengaged yeah. one three to one. And the fact that you're winning business based on it and being paid a premium, which actually makes sense to me because if hiring you, they know it's going to get done right. <laughs> they know it's going to get done safely on time, on budget. Whereas other projects, the bid might be lower, but there's overruns and there's issues and it gets delayed and all those other things happen. One of the byproducts, I think, of how you do things is just increased predictability of what you deliver. It is. This year we're about to conclude we will have grown 25% and our hit rate, our success rate, is one out of every two projects we win because we differentiate ourselves. The national average is about one out of every five for construction companies. So... We've had great success, and we're doing that while producing best-in-class returns on equity. So we're winning the work through differentiation at a very high rate and also producing great results on our bottom line. So it's, you know, we work every day to keep it figured out. So I don't want to sound like we've got it figured out, but we're committed to continuing to work hard because this is all perishable stuff. It's got a very short shelf life. So everyone in the companies are all committed every day to realizing we have to work on it every day and get a little better. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes back to your approach, which is prove a little bit every day. Yep. Yeah, yep. I love yep. that. The other thing that we've talked about in the past, there's a couple of your models that I'd love to kind of talk through. Again, part of why I was so excited to talk with you and have other people hear you is because you do put things into concepts and ideas, and you do have great ways of communicating them. And one of the ones that I really like, there's a couple... I like all the ones I've seen, by the way, (laughs) just so you know. (laughs) But there's one distinction that you make between deliberate leadership and casual leadership. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, I love deliberate. I love intentional. So can you just talk through that a little bit? Because I think, again, there's a consciousness or awareness that you bring to it that may be unfamiliar for some other people. Well, we have a concept we've developed around deliberate leadership. And there's a graphic, and so imagine the graphic of an arrow pointing up in the air with deliberate leadership. And we work on deliberate leadership in the company two ways. On the left side of the arrow, there's organizationally things we do like our strategy and a process we call the Estes Way, which is the kind of company we want to be, which is a remarkable company, and the components we have that we work on with that. So those are our organizational things, things like having dynamic people, which is our training and development, having an inspiring culture, which are forms of recognition we do and ways we lift people up, and creating a great client experience. So those are things we do in deliberate leadership to really work on in our company and our organization. And then on the other side of that arrow is individual development, which is really our individual talent development with performance and standards built around values. We have four company values, and we've built 11 competencies around those four values, and that's how people are graded and rewarded and developed. We've also developed a pathway through the five levels of the company. We call it PE to president that are around developing technical skills, but more importantly, the higher up, developing soft skills, leadership skills, more than managerial skills. Those are on the individual side. So we work hard through deliberate leadership to build both the organization and to build the individual. Now, to take that one step further at your question around casual, we like to think we can be informal but never casual. Mm. So you can be informal. You can walk into someone's office and have a conversation. We do that all the time. Right? We have a very open workspace. You can come into somebody else's area and be informal. But you never want to be casual. We have a saying we use called end in mind, which is always have an end in mind, whether it's a meeting, a conversation, a week, a project, a milestone. 
we try to train people to think here and ask themselves the questions, what's the end in mind I want before I start? Before I start the meeting, before I start a project, before I start this conversation? It doesn't mean to be mechanical. Now, maybe part of your end in mind is just to go build a relationship and see how Shannon's doing today. <laughs> that might be my end in mind. Hey, Shannon, how's it going today? Mm-hmm. So it isn't a manipulative end in mind, but it's always be deliberate. You can be informal, but don't be casual. I love that distinction. You just described me, informal but not casual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, and again, it's that intentionality. It's that, which I think, at least in business, if not all parts of life, is really important because otherwise we're wasting time. And we're still there for a purpose and we're aligned to get something done together. That's kind of the definition of teamwork. So that makes complete sense. And if we don't do that, we're not actually doing what we need to be doing every day. You know, after my last coach session, one of the things that was my takeaway in September was the idea that for any important meeting, we're asking the convener of the meeting to do an impact filter ahead of time, which is all about end in mind, right? What do I really want? What's my real clarity with this? How do I get my head around it? You know, we've integrated a lot of coach tools, like we always start meetings with positive focus. But now it's interesting because I think some of the meetings that I'm invited to are sharper, They're clearer, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this intentionality or being deliberate has really taken it to another level when we've asked people to use the fast filter, the impact filter on the project. I agree, and I know I've started doing them, well, I did one for you (laughs) before this conversation, which helped me get really clear about the value that I wanted to present to people. For people listening, as I told Ken, I got more and more excited as I did the impact filter, which was really fun. And and just if you're not familiar with it, you're kind of answering a series of questions, which is what do you want to accomplish? What's the biggest difference this will make? So that's the purpose and the importance. The ideal outcome, what does the completed project actually look like? At that point, if you're not convinced, stop. Don't do the project. (laughs) And then what's the best result if you do a great job? What's the worst result if you don't take action or it doesn't go the way you want it to? And then simply, what are the success criteria? And by going through things in that order, it totally develops your thinking. And we have a short version, which is just best, worst result, and your success criteria. And it's very powerful to do that for any kind of a conversation, a meeting, where you want something to happen, but you need to go in clear about what exactly that is. It clarifies my thinking. I know it does that for other people, too. Well, it certainly does mine, and I think it really aligns well with our philosophy we've had for some time about have an end in mind. What's your end in mind? And more importantly, it's a process. The impact filter is a process that helps you really get that out of your head and onto paper so you can see if it has merit. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to deliberate and casual leadership because I happen to have the diagram in front of me. And one of the things I like is that casual leadership, which is little thought and small effort with regard to the organization, and few or no thought or effort with regard to individual development, that results in inconsistent performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that describes some organizations that have not put the thought into it that you have. Well, it does, because we were there. I mean, I can tell you about 10 or 11 years ago, we were, like most construction companies, very cyclical, two good years, one bad year, and we made a commitment that we were going to be a high-performing organization. And we started to get more deliberate, and through those first year or two, we got quite a bit more deliberate, and then we hit five consecutive years of of best-in-class performance, so we started getting very deliberate. And then when I joined Coach six years ago, you know, Coach is all about growth, and so one of the things I boldly committed to do was I had the confidence from five consecutive years and high consistency to be able to challenge our company to double in size organically in five years. Guess what? In 15, we will have exceeded that goal by about 20%. 
having doubled organically, not counting another acquisition we did along the way. Now what's happened is, so it's moved from me being deliberate, which was the case in the early years, eight or nine years ago, to then our officers being much more deliberate. That might have been the case seven or eight years ago. To in the last three or four years, this uh, about 15 people in the company at different levels being very deliberate, and now we're taking that down one last level. So as the pace has quickened, the reason it's quickening is through this idea of everyone being much more deliberate and really working on the company mm-hmm. on things, but whether it's themselves getting better or building high-performing teams or engaging others to lead. Mm, fantastic. So before we leave this model, you said something about inspiring culture and ways that you recognize people. Could you just share one or two of the ways that you do that? Because I think that's something that for a lot of people, it's a challenge. It's hard to know how to do it, how to do it right. So what are some of the things that you've really found that have worked? We actually have a graphic, and I believe I've shown this to you, where we define the behaviors we want and then the recognition we want to provide. So the behaviors that we want for performance, whether it's a position description, whether it's high performance, whatever those are, and then the ways we provide recognition when we see those behaviors can be categorized twofold. One is non-monetarily and one is monetarily. Mm -hmm. So the first is Gallup tells you the reason that most people leave jobs, money is fourth or fifth on the list. Most people leave jobs because they don't feel appreciated, they don't feel their work is worthwhile, they don't feel engaged. And so those are mostly about non-monetary kinds of things. And so Gallup makes a great point to say, those are free things, why wouldn't you be deliberate about them? (laughs) So we tell a lot of stories around here. A form of non-monetary recognition is I make sure I say good morning to everyone, ask them how their day is going. That's free, right? But that's important. And so we do a lot of other things much more than that. We tell stories in our monthly staff meeting. People pick out an Estes Way story in their department, and they tell it about great service. So we do a lot of things deliberately that are non-monetary. We have people lead teams that shows they have advanced skills, all of those kinds of things. And then on the second half of that, monetary the pretty standard stuff, compensation, bonuses, We do a lot of spot awards. The spot awards, if you do something extraordinary, you get a $250 certificate. We do a lot of longevity awards. Every five years, you get a significant longevity award. And if somebody's at our company 20 years, it's $2,000. So it's it's a pretty significant recognition for a long-term being at a company. So those are lots of the ways we provide recognition, both monetarily and non-monetarily. And people want to be recognized. We talk a lot about small wins, and being an old college football guy, we like to use the football analogy. If you're a football fan, when your favorite team is behind in the game and they have their ball deep in their own territory, they don't throw three long Hail Mary passes. They want to get a first down, and the way they get a first down is three, three three-and-a-half-yard plays. And so the analogy we use is, okay, does the crowd wait and cheer until they get a touchdown? No. Does the crowd wait and cheer until they get a first down? No. The crowd cheers when they get the first three-yard play, and they cheer louder when they get the next three-yard play, and then they cheer louder when they get the first down. And so that idea is really around the idea of small wins. So when you're trying to recognize people, train them and develop them, you've got to find small wins. It's not what they're not doing. It's got to be what are they doing. Even if it's 25% right, find the 25% right, celebrate it, recognize it, and it helps people's confidence. So those are ways we think about it. Mm, I love it. Now, are there some people 
that have not been able to adapt to the culture or if you hire them and for some reason they turn out not to be a right fit? You know, we've had very little of that. In the last few years, we probably hired somewhere around 30 to 33 people between our companies, and I think we've had one or two turnovers. So part of that goes into our process of how we hire and how we interview. But we make a really deliberate effort to onboard people and get them engaged quickly and understand. Well, in the interviewing process, we make a clear effort to let them know what it's like to work here, and we ask a lot of questions to make sure they'll fit in Mm -hmm. well with our culture. Mm -hmm. And then in the onboarding period of time, the first six weeks, we have some really deliberate things we do. It's about a two-page checklist, and they have to own that. It's their job to make sure they get those things done. And so we, we make this mind shift that it's their job to have to fit in while we want to welcome them. And then they have a mentor, and the mentors work with them. But we've had very low turnover. I think we've had one guy that we asked for a resignation, and he probably shouldn't have been hired to begin with, and the team that hired him recognized that. But very low turnover, and we have a lot of pretty significant engagement that we work on through the onboarding process and then the development process after that. Which the low turnover saves you a ton of money. It is. You know, there's a lot of statistics that say the cost of turnover is somewhere between four and five times someone's annual salary. And personally, I think that's probably a little light. It's disruptive to the organization in today's environment where people are becoming more and more scarce. It's a real challenge. We make a big investment in developing people more than turning them over. If you have any kind of hiring process at all, most people are generally pretty good people. If they aren't, you probably shouldn't have hired them. But most people are generally pretty good people. They're really looking for the right opportunity. We also like to say when someone's not succeeding, we have a mindset that what do we need to do to clarify, to help them understand things better? What do we need to do to help them be in an area where maybe their strengths could be utilized better? So we've made some adjustments with people, but it's more around the idea that that's our responsibility, not theirs. Because usually the person, if they're struggling, it's because they aren't real clear on what it is it's expected of them. We own that as management. And between that and making sure they understand how to use their strengths the best, we've had great success with that. I feel like I just want to go and immerse myself in your company for a while. (laughs) I just want to go follow you around. One thing about it, as you know, it's a very fast-moving company. There's a lot of good things going on, and we're having a lot of success right now. And a lot of people are having a lot of success, so it's very fun to watch that happen. Awesome. The last modeler thing I want you to talk through is how you look at leadership roles. And you have five words that I find sort of fascinating, which is vision, lead, advance, manage, and do. So can you talk through that and how that plays out with the various companies? We use that to really say, and it's kind of what we call our holding company model, because the three companies that we have and for in the future when we do it, we want to work with the key managers of the company to really help them set the vision and help them guide it and then help them shape how they're going to lead. And it doesn't mean we're telling them how to lead. We help them shape it. And the way we help them shape it is with a threefold progression. Uh, We like to say, think, speak, behave. So a lot of times, leadership is about mindset. And sometimes people, in order to lead, have to have a certain mindset or a certain clarity in their mind about how it is they're going to lead. And so that thinking part comes into play there. How do we help shape their thinking and their mindset? And then once they begin to shape that, then how will they talk to others about it? How will they speak about it? And most importantly, how will they get themselves to behave and demonstrate that and others to behave and demonstrate that? Once we get them there, that's really when the company starts to advance. 
After that, it's really more about managing the advancement and doing it. We really want to spend our time as leaders more in the vision and leadership end, helping people think differently or shape their mindset and help set the pace and tone for how they're going to advance, and then the rest really kind of gets carried out from there. Mm, I love it. And does this provide a lot of direction to your leadership team about what they need to do? Yes, it does. It's been surprising. We came up with that not long ago, that concept, and it added instant clarity. We showed it to people and a couple of other companies, and instantly they're like, hey, that's great, because they didn't feel like they were being second-guessed. They knew that was really our role. And I think otherwise it feels a little bit like when you're trying to set the vision and help them lead, like you're being a little bit second-guessed. And once they got that, they looked at that whole graphic and they said, wow, we get it. And it's added a lot of speed because You know, we measure ourselves by our intent. Others measure us by our behavior. And so they didn't really understand our intent when we were trying to do that. They were hearing the questions or our behavior and the things we were asking them and talking about. And so they now understand our intent very clearly. You say so many genius things. I can't write them down fast (laughs) enough. That whole distinction between intent and behavior, phenomenal. And I love it because it does set the context around what to expect. And to use a coach term, we have one called stay on your side of the line. Mm -hmm. And I think it helps everyone clarify where that line is and where the handoff happens. So from the key officers, particularly, it's the vision and the leading. A little bit of advancement, but after that, it's all over to the other company and the team. So they know where the line is, and that gives them a lot of confidence about what their responsibility is. Well, it does. And here's the converse of that that we now realize on our side leadership side. Well, when things maybe aren't being advanced as fast as we want or aren't managed, maybe the vision and the leadership piece that we set's unclear or not mm. complete. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way we start to ask those questions. Okay, what's going on here with this? Why isn't it going well? Is the vision clear? Did we help shape it clearly? Is the leadership, you know, so that is a two-edged sword, so to speak, that helps us clarify maybe when it's fuzzy and it needs more work or more shaping or more thought. Mm-hmm. It's so fun listening to you because one of the things that's been through our entire conversation is how much you have what's actually called a growth mindset. Dan and Babs and I in a discussion group are reading a book called Mindset right now by Carol Dweck, if you ever have a chance to pick it up. It's phenomenal because she talks about a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And every single thing you've talked about comes from that growth, that openness. Maybe we haven't figured out yet. Maybe it's still fuzzy. Maybe we need to clarify or how can I get a little bit better? And you help other people really move away from a fixed mindset and into a growth mindset. I mean, that's what every single one of your processes and models does is really say, hey, here are your strengths. How can you grow them? They're not fixed. You can get better. People are innately good. How can we clarify how they can be successful here? I just appreciate that very much. Well, one of the things that coaches taught me is this concept of abundance versus scarcity. Growth mindset, as you know, has to come from an abundant mindset that you want to grow, that things are generally good or are good and not generally good, are good. And so a lot of times we get to shape that attitude by our own mindset and that abundance mindset is the platform. You know, there's a saying Dale Carnegie has about the only thing you get to choose is your attitude. That is a profound statement, and we use that a lot in our companies. So what's your mindset going to be? What's your attitude going to be? Your attitude will determine where everything else goes from there. So if you have an abundant mindset, it leads to a growth mindset, and away you go. Mm-hmm. I love it. So I want to ask you just for some final thoughts or words of advice. I mean, a couple of things I've been so impressed with is 
the difference between casual and informal, the difference between the mindsets that you've talked about, the difference between deliberate leadership and casual leadership, I think, is a big one. And the other thing that you said that I found <laughs> sort of so cool is that you really see yourself as a leadership development company versus a construction company. Mm. The byproduct is great construction. For people who are looking at developing their own leaders or looking at developing their own leadership, what would you tell them? What advice would you give? What pitfalls to avoid? What are your thoughts on that? That's a big question. It is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it also implies I haven't figured out. I don't have it figured out. I'm just committed to working on it every day. Well, you know uh, what? What do you wish someone had told you? Maybe that's a better way to put well, it. Well, you know, I think a lot of it starts with mindset. Mm-hmm. And probably one of the things I really appreciated early on about Coach was the positive focus. When we as leaders have a positive mindset, it's infectious. People want to be around positive people. They don't want to follow Eeyore, to use the Winnie the Pooh analogy, you know. And I think everything is check your own mindset. See where your mindset is on something. And I talk a lot in our company about when I walk out the door of my office, I never want anyone to know what the conversation was I might have just had on the phone. It doesn't mean you brush things under the rug, but we're in charge of our own mindsets. So how do you have the right mindset? It's infectious. And I think once you start to have that or growth mindset, a lot of things start to fall into place. and People want to follow and get engaged, and that's really important. My uncle, who founded our company years ago, who's been out of our company for a while, one day he came to me and he said, how'd your day go? He's walking out the door. This was 20 years ago, and I said, oh, it didn't go well at all, and I'd had one bad thing after the other. And he said, well, you know what the best thing about today is? And I'm thinking to myself, what could have possibly been good about today? <laughs> I said, no, Jim, I really don't know what that is. And he said, tomorrow. We get to start over tomorrow. And that was like an epiphany to me. I'm like, wow, that's the mindset we have to have. You know how bad today is? We get to start over tomorrow. And Coach does that. What were your three wins today? As Dan sometimes says, well, it might have just been getting up, brushing my teeth, and taking a shower. (laughs) But I still have to look at what successes I have and that positive mindset. So I think that's really important. I think the other thing that's really important is that we work on, and you've helped us shape this, is the difference between leadership and management. Mm -hmm. We now have defined in our world leadership is about relationships. We define it to be inspiring action through relationships to maximize talent or culture. That's leadership, inspiring action. And that concept a few years ago, getting that in my head really helped me. My job as a leader is to inspire others, inspire action. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, management is more about execution and performance. And we define that as maximizing results within the systems we have. And so management is more about getting things done. And so if you can understand that difference and get it a little clear in your own head and help others get it clear in theirs, it helps everyone get to a different place because there are times for leadership around inspiring others, and then there's time for management to check in and see how things are going and what's happening and what adjustments need to be made. So I think that distinction, because we all go back and forth in those roles, but the important thing is to understand when you need to move and should move from one to the next and vice versa. Mm, Brilliant. So, Ken, I'm going to wrap this up because I know I could talk to you all day, literally. (laughs) (laughs) But I think my bottom line is what I really appreciate is, in fact, the distinctions that you make. 
And I think you helped clarify my thinking when I talked to you, and I know it's a reciprocal relationship, and yes. I know you do that for your team because I've talked to them about it. And I just appreciate you doing that for us today because for me, you've thought about things in a way that's, again, very conscious, very intentional, and you've had your own growth path, which I very much appreciate you sharing. And I get inspired. So to me today, you are really kind of that inspiring action person, that leader. So I appreciate that. And I just... Again, thank you for what you've done with your own company. Obviously, the results are paying off fantastically, which I also love, because having these ideas and not seeing the practical result, that doesn't really mean anything. But the fact that that actually has paid off for you so tangibly, as well as in a great culture, but also a great bottom line, that to me is kind of the perfect recipe. So thanks for sharing that with us today. Well, you're welcome, Shannon. It's been an honor. You know, I hope I've been offered some insight for those. And again, we don't have this figured out. We are committed to continuing to get a little better. And I'd also like to say thank you very much for helping play a role in mine as well as our companies and to Coach as well. I know we wouldn't be where we are without the interaction with Coach and with some of the support you've offered us and the insights you've given us too. So thank you for that. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I adore working with you. I hope you got as much out of this conversation with Kent as I did. Thanks very much for listening. And if you have any comments or questions, please let us know at questions at strategiccoach.com. As always, here's to your team success. Hi, Shannon here, and thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate the Team Success Podcast on iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd share the podcast with anyone else who could benefit. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Coach Program for Entrepreneurs, visit us at strategiccoach.com or the Strategic Coach channel on YouTube. For free downloads and more Team Success strategies, visit teamsuccesshandbook.com.